And uh, yeah, we've been, t- we've been spending a series, this is our fifth message on the goodness of God, where we've really just tried to enjoy the goodness of God for a season. We know that there's trouble in the world. We know we've come through a lot of um, things that would cause fatigue and heartache and challenge. Um, we know that life is full of, of, of things that hurt, um, but we have a choice. We can either focus on those things or we can focus on the goodness of God. And uh, we're trying to turn ourselves that way. You know, to, instead of focus on the shadow, focus on the sunshine. And oftentimes it's behind us and uh, we really do have to turn our eyes um, to Jesus. And so that's what we've been doing and it, it's been good for my soul. Hopefully it's been good for you. And um, I like the way Ryan coined it um, two weeks ago where he said, in, in this series specifically, we, we spent a lot of times talking about the goodness of God that has been expressed to us in Christ by what Jesus did for us in the past. And that's so true. Our songs are about it. It's wonderful that Jesus came. He incarnated. He became one of us. He, he was without sin. He became a sacrifice for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. He conquered sin and death, so that doesn't have to end our story anymore. And then he gave us his own spirit to, to live inside of us, to navigate life. I mean, that is some good stuff, and that, that's worth talking about. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are all living and experiencing that goodness who've made Jesus our Lord. And we also spend time talking about the goodness that God has planned for us, right, in the future. So we got the past goodness, we got the future goodness, where, where God promises he's going to come and restore everything. And I mean, that is hard to fathom, what that really means, that, that he's going to restore everything. And J.R.R. Tolkien, in a fantasy way, he basically described it this way. At some point, God is going to make everything sad come untrue. I mean, yes, I want that, but oh, I, we've, we have never taken one breath as humans without the shadow of death over us. We have never taken one breath as humans without the war between the nature of Adam, the sinful nature within us, and the nature of God that's been born in us of spirit. But one day, everything sad is going to come untrue. And then Tim Keller picks up on that and says, and it's going to somehow be better for having once been broken. That is some goodness that it's hard to access at times. Actually, I can't get my mind around it. I just I have to believe, right? And that is, it's hard to believe. But that's the depth of the goodness of God expressed to us in the past, expressed to us in the future. But what Ryan was saying is we're going to try and focus in here on what is the goodness of God? What is Jesus doing right now? Because, but, because there's goodness there too. And so it took us through a time where we looked at Jesus Christ as the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus right now is interceding on our behalf. He's in the, the room next to us going before the Father saying, hey, Let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. What if we did this? This would be good. How about this? And then Alec last week talked about Jesus being the advocate before the Father. And basically that's Jesus going to the Father and saying, hey, I know he did that again, but I already paid for that. I know he messed that same thing up again, but let's give him mercy because I paid the price for that. So he's advocating for us before the Father, which is really good things. And today we're going to talk about another good thing that Jesus wants to do for us right now. Um, and it comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. If you want to grab a Bible there, we'll pop it up on this screen. We're having, we're having little technical difficulties with our projector in case that's like the most important part of your church service. I'm sorry. 
for a couple of reasons, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the main thing is we're going to get that thing back in shape as soon as we can. Um, and uh, if you wanted to lay hands on it and pray for it after service, we'll take whatever we can at this point. Um, but we'll put stuff up on here. And uh, the live streamers, you're all set. You know, you don't need that. Um, and so thanks for tuning with us online as well. So Matthew 11, 28, this is what Jesus is wanting to do for us now. Um, Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give us rest. That's what he wants to give us. Now, this is interesting because Jesus has been on earth in human form for probably 31, 32 years. Not exactly sure when his birthday is. Can you say that in church? Yeah. Christmas Day, I, I don't know if that was his actual birthday. <gasps> what is happening right now? He's ruining everything. Um, we can talk more about it if you want to talk about it. Probably shouldn't have said it. Now you're just going to be thinking about Christmas the whole time. <sighs> Whatever. Um, but, but, but he was probably 31 or 32. So basically, he'd been at, on earth for at least 30 years, living as a human, growing up from baby to adolescent to puberty to manhood, to 30 years old. And he, he was feeling what it was like to be us. And not only that, but he was living amongst the people. He was Jewish. He had an ethnicity, and his ethnicity at that time was, was a rough situation. Now, for the Jews in, in, in Israel, they had their own kind of hierarchy of Jew, and he was at the bottom of that. He was poor. And as far as they all knew, he was born out of wedlock. And that had some ramifications in that day. And not only that, but being a Jew in that day in, in Israel was not that cool because you were dominated by Roman oppression and injustice. So he felt the full weight of all of that. And the Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Every temptation that has ever happened to any human that's ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus faced and wrestled with, yet without sin. So he knew what we were going through. He got tired, he got hungry, he felt weak. It's a big debate for some people, but I'm in the camp where I do think that Jesus could have gotten sick. Some people don't think that's true, and I, I don't want to fight. But I do know when they put nails in his hands, blood came out. And when they pinned him to a tree for long enough and he couldn't get enough oxygen, he died. He was human. Fully God, fully man. He knows exactly what it was like to be human in all of the hardest situations. And he was walking around with these 12 disciples and some other women and some friends. And he, and he saw what they were going through and he wept with them when Lazarus died and other situations happened. And yet, after all of that, he stops at one moment and he tells his guys, I want you to come to me with your weariness, with your heaviness, with the burdens that you have, I understand them. And I want you to know that if you come to me, I'm going to give you rest. Because that's what you really need. 
Now, when my daughters come to me with their weariness or heaviness or mistakes or whatever they've done, they usually get a pep talk. They usually get advice. They get some correction. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, then this wouldn't have happened. It's amazing how good I am at that. I, I am a, I, it's like I have crafted the art of critique for centuries. That's how good I am at it. And it's horrible. But that's not the way Jesus is when we come to him. He said, if you come to me, you're not going to get a pep talk. You're not going to get advice. You're not going to get criticized. You're going to get rest. You're going to get rest. So I want to do three things. I want to look at what is the rest that Jesus gives? Is it just, you know, a little sleep, a little lithium? What is, what is the rest that he wants to give us? <laughs> what is the heavy load that he's noticed that we, we carry as he walked with humans as a human and he interacted with them? He realized that they carry these heavy loads. And what is the load he wants to take away from us so that he can put on a different load, a lighter load? And then what kind of God gives us rest? And that'll kind of be coupled with communion at the end of the service today. So what is the rest Jesus gives us? Um, I want to to talk, talk about three different examples as we try and understand the rest. The first is the prodigal rest. So Jesus himself, he described a little bit of the rest, that what happens when we come to him, when we come to the Father, when we come to Jesus. And he described it by talking about this son who in a prideful kind of arrogant way rebelled against his father's household ways and against his father's ways and thought he could do better. And so he leaves. And and not only that, but he takes and he lustfully and greedily spends his father's inheritance. And finds himself in a place where he's now got a lot of shame. And he's all alone. And with that huge weight of shame and guilt and probably some anger and frustration, maybe some fear about what's next, he decides to go to a pig farmer. And there's a lot of, a lot of depth of connotation why Jesus would describe a pig farmer here because of what pigs meant in Jewish society. And basically, this son had now come to a place where he didn't see himself as a son anymore. He didn't even see himself as a human anymore. He saw himself as a pig, the most unholy thing he could imagine. And so he went and slept with the pigs, and he ate what the pigs ate, until finally the weariness somehow got so strong, and maybe the wind of God's Spirit blew in one day, and he had this idea What if I go to my father and say, I know I'm a pig, but can I at least be a pig here? And as he comes, he gets to the place where he can see his father's property. And and surprisingly enough, he sees his, his father running to the edge of his property, probably not knowing it was the son, but just hoping maybe it was. And the son gets there and he has his speech all laid out and he gets down on his knees. He said, Father, I'm a pig. I'm just a pig. I'm a pig. And the father stops him before he can even finish the whole thing. And he says, get over here. And he gives him a big hug. And he takes his own robe and he puts it on him. He gives him his ring. And he says, let's go. I've already got the fatted calf prepared. We're going to go have a feast. You're home. I want you to come and I want you to rest because you must be exhausted. That's the kind of rest that Jesus wants. 
So it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from. If you come to Jesus, he will give you rest. Rest from all the weariness that sin has brought. And not only does he want to give us that kind of rest, but there's a Mary's rest. So that's the prodigal's rest. And then there's this Mary's rest, which is interesting. And this is shocking because Mary and Martha were these two ladies. They were sisters of Lazarus. Some of those names may ring a bell, but basically they were friends of Jesus. Jesus had, had friends. He had people he liked hanging out with. And there was this one house in Bethany, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And whenever Jesus was coming down to Jerusalem, he would stay at their house because he liked them. He thought it was a fun place. And he was coming. He told them, we're coming to stay with you. And so Mary and Martha, they're getting everything ready. They're preparing everything. They know if Jesus is coming, then all those dudes are coming and Peter can eat. So she's like, we got to make extra food. It's going to be a big ordeal. Bunch of stinky boys in the house. And so they're getting everything ready and they're working and they're working. And then Jesus shows up. And as soon as Jesus shows up, Mary's like, peace, I'm out. And she goes and runs to Jesus and just starts hanging out with Jesus. And Martha, like, well, we still got work to do. We got to get everything ready. This isn't done. That's not done. So she stays and she's working and she's just getting frustrated, right? She just every once in a while peeks out and she sees Jesus and Mary hanging out and she's like, oh, and she's getting frustrated. She's doing all the work she needs to do. And finally, she can't take it anymore. She comes out. And she says, Jesus, tell Mary to get in here and help me. This is ridiculous. I'm doing all the work in here. And Jesus shocks all of the American Protestant work ethic Christians <laughs> around the entire world. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're busy with many things. And Mary has chosen the greater thing, and it will not be taken from her. It, it feels weird to say that. Even though I've heard that a thousand times, it's still shocking. That when you come to Jesus, he's, he's not going to give you more things to do. I had a, an, an old 75-year-old man that I, I was walking with in Gales Point, Belize, where there's no running water, and he'd grown up his whole life in this village, and yet he had a solid walk with the Lord. And he basically told me one day, something I'll never forget. He, just, he talked real slow and real deep. He said, David, all the time I've been walking with the Lord, I picture myself with this wheelbarrow walking down the road. And I thought God would keep coming to me and telling me to do more things and put more stuff in the wheelbarrow. He said, the truth is, God just keeps coming and taking stuff out of my wheelbarrow. And at first, I was drinking too much. And instead of God putting a heavy thing on me, he just took that from me. And then I was gambling too much. He took that from me. And then I wasn't treating women right. He took that from me. And he's just, my whole walk with the Lord has been a lot more him removing things from me. That's good. That's good. I woke up because he talked so slow and smooth, put me right to sleep. I was like, that's good. No, I didn't. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's something Jesus was trying to help them understand and the disciples understand. Obviously, it was shocking enough for the, for the gospel writers to record it. That moment when, when Jesus said, no, this is the primary. Doesn't mean there isn't work to do. There is work to do. 
But first and foremost, when we come to Jesus, he does not tell us about the work we need to do. First and foremost, he says, come here, child. Let me get a good look at you. Let me see what you've been up to. Let me hear what's in your heart, what you're wrestling with. And let me give you some rest. And once you've got well rested, once you've got sufficient rest, then I'm going to send you out to do something that's going to need courage. But come and get the rest first. And lastly, the priestly rest. So this isn't necessarily in the life of Jesus, but basically hearkening back to Exodus 34, which kicked off our sermon series, where Moses is up on the Mount Sinai, and it's covered in fire, and he's there in the presence of God, the kabod of God. And he says, I want to see your glory. And God says, okay, fine. You want to see me? I'll show you my goodness. And I'll have mercy on who I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And Moses is there 40 days, 40 nights, completely satisfied in the presence of God. No food or water. And in that space, God begins to give Moses commandments. The Ten Commandments, right? The famous ones. And then he gives them lots of other commandments. He gives them specific instructions. So specific it would blow your mind. So specific that if you start reading the Old Testament, you're going to fizzle out and, and drown in all the details. You should still do it. But it's just like, man... You get through the end of Exodus and you're like, oh, a new book finally. And then it's numbers. <laughs> you're like, no. And then you get done. Oh, actually, Leviticus. Sorry, Leviticus. Same thing. What's the difference, right? It's all brew. <laughs> and then you get to Deuteronomy and they just redo everything. It's like the second telling is what it's called. They, oh, let's, we didn't get that enough. Let's just go over it again just in case anybody missed it. It's brutal. But it's awesome. And brutal. But anyways, so God's given all these specific instructions about when you come to me, this is what you're supposed to do. You've got to come in with Thanksgiving, and I want you to build this tabernacle, and it's got to look like this, and, and you've got to use these animal skins, you've got to use this specific wood, and I want a little blue right here and right there. And then you're going to make these sacrifices, and Leviticus is all about how you're supposed to make the right sacrifice. You've got to make it exactly right. You've got to use this animal, this animal for this, this, this. And you've got to make these sacrifices because God's deadly serious about sin, and he wants you to understand that sin brings death, so don't mess with it. And then you go past that, and you've got the bronze laver, and even that was supposed to be made specifically. And they were going to wash in there. And then they go to the holy place, which is under this tent, and you have the table of showbread, and you have the altar of incense, and you have the, um, and you have the golden lampstand. And they're supposed to do all those specifically, just even the wood, the acacia wood. It's got to be acacia wood. I like that acacia wood. And, they, and then there was a curtain that was specific and how it was supposed to be made. And then there was the Holy of Holies. And there in the Holy of Holies, once a year, the priest would get to go in. And if he did everything right, he could go in the Holy of Holies and there be in the presence of God. And you know what the instructions were when they got to the Holy of Holies? None. No more instructions. No more details, no more specifics, because when you get into the Holy of Holies, you're in the presence of God, and you're supposed to chill because God wants to give you rest. And yes, we have to labor into our rest, and then we go from that place of rest, and then we labor for the kingdom, no doubt about it. But that rest, you guys, it's paramount. Not only for you, but it's paramount for God. He wants to give you rest. And we are not good at that. So, that's the rest of God. It's an at ease. Think of the commanding officer telling everyone who comes in there and it's like, Psh, at ease. And then they're like, Psh. and it's like, no, at ease, man. Get on the ground, lay down if you need to. We had a guy snoring in first service and he was like, right on. <laughs> right on. I actually had to tell everybody, I was like, I can hear him snoring so you don't have to worry about it. I'm cool with this, so you'll be cool with it. <laughs> Rest it up, man. This guy's putting this message to work. 
His rest refreshes us. For the computer nerds in the room, it's defragging. It's removing the cookies and the viruses and upgrading the software all at the same time. Anybody? Any computer nerds? I'm a wannabe. That's the rest that he gives us. So what is the heavy load that he noticed, that he addresses? He says, come to me all who are laboring under that heavy load, who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I want to talk about the weight. Hebrews 12 talks about two things. It says, we are compassed by so great a cloud of witnesses, so let us, let us lay off the sin and the weight that so easily entangle us. And the sin and the weight, is two, it's a distinction, two different things, because we know that sin diminishes us. It distorts. It actually warps our reality. It warps our identity. It breaks us. So that when we try and work, we actually we don't have what we're supposed to have. Because we're broken. We're now warped by sin. It diminishes us. It steals. It robs it kills, it destroys. And it doesn't just do that to you. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody who's connected to you. And we see it time and time again, and sad to say we see it in Christian leaders. That they sin, and it doesn't just affect them. But it takes the wind out of the sails of the entire church. I can't imagine their families. But at the whole church universe, every time we hear about it, we're just like, ah. Oh. It diminishes, it weakens, and it's a heavy load, the weight of sin. But not only that, but then we have this weight that the Bible calls, which is not technically sin, but I came up with five things that I can describe. In this world, there's just these weights that we take on that Jesus, if we come to him, is going to say, hey, take that off. I didn't put that on you. You put that on you. Our culture put that on you. Your mom and dad put that on you. And you don't need to be carrying that. It's going to wear you out. I didn't make you to carry that. The first one is doing more than you have the grace to do. Okay, it's real simple. It's not that clever. You could have figured that one out on your own. <laughs> doing more than you have the grace to do. And, and we have this idea, keeping up with the Joneses, right? We, we're trying to be somebody. We're trying to achieve something. And God might not have given us the grace or the measure to, to do that. When I lived in Belize that, that first time for a year with my family, like living in a village with no running water, we, we had to shift gears. We, fifth gear was, was the, we didn't have a car, first of all, but fifth gear was just, there was no fifth gear. Fourth gear, third gear, I mean, there was, there was neutral, and there was first gear, and every once in a while I'd try to get up to second gear, and it would just be, it wouldn't work. Things slowed down, was, and I knew it because when I came back here, I was like, what is wrong with these people? Why are they all so freaked out and crazy all the time? I was like, and I'm one of them. Oh, my goodness. And I came up with this phrase. There's a gravity in Phoenix that is pulling us into superficial and artificial busyness where we wake up one year, two years, five years, ten years down the road, and we realize we've just been existing. We haven't been doing any living at all. And it's everywhere. It is rampant. And I'm sure it's not just Phoenix, but we are one of the most artificial places in the world, right? Because we have trees. <laughs> and we have water. Yet we live in a desert. And oftentimes we're just doing a lot more than we're 
we've been given a measure to. And you, you think about that widow's mite, right? When Jesus said, I want you to notice what this woman did. She came and brought this widow's mite. And, and everybody's looking at her being like, is that it? That's all you got? That's going to make no impact anyway. That's the, that's the world's economy. The kingdom of heaven's economy is this lady gave the fullness of the measure that had been given to her. And she's going to be celebrated forevermore. Heaven's economy is what we're going for. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven that, that we're going to be celebrating, we're going to be marveling at, and the world never once took notice of them because they, they were faithful to do the measure that God had given them. And it wasn't enough to get credit in this world, but enough to get credit in heaven. So doing more than you were supposed to do. Um, number two, trying to be who you are not. Now this can easily sound like the first one, but I want you to picture David in the Bible, not this David, the other David. And he was going to fight Goliath. And he was all stirred up, right? He's like, come on, we got this guy. The Lord is with us. And he's just this ruddy 15-year-old or so. And Saul, who was the king, who was supposed to be fighting Goliath, but he was too scared. He was like, okay, man, you can fight him. Here, I'll even let you have my armor, like this super benevolent, awesome king. And so he gives David his armor. So David puts on his armor, and he's like, come He's like, he can't do anything. And he puts on Saul's armor, and he's like, if he was going to go fight Goliath with Saul's armor, he'd have been dead in a second. But David was wise enough to think, this isn't for me, man. I got to be who the Lord has made me to be. I got to use what the Lord has used in my life in the past to go forward. And so David went down there with the slingshot and five smooth stones. He wasn't overconfident. <laughs> and the Lord brought about something great because he wasn't trying to be who he wanted. And some of you guys are wearing Saul's armor. And to get a little bit more tricky on this, some of you are wearing Saul's armor because it did protect you when you were a kid. You put up some defenses. You shut off some parts of your heart. You took on some identities. You put on some masks because they were the only way you could really be safe for a season. And they served you. And they kept some of that pain out. But guess what? They've also kept all the love out. They've also kept all of the love of God out. And if you come to Jesus, he says, hey, come to me with that heavy load. And let me see who you really are. And let me put some love right there. And it's going to feel like the most refreshing thing you've ever experienced. Big Rob, he got baptized last week. We had a video of him a few weeks ago. He's teaching me all kinds of stuff. But I remember talking to Big Rob, and I know his story. I know he's been homeless. He's been on the streets. I know he's battled. I know he's been through rejection. I know he's had all these things. But he told me in this one moment, he said, I didn't know, ever know you could be loved like this. It was like all this time, any love that tried to get in wasn't able to get all the way in because he had his defenses up. But then in Christ, he came to Christ and he said, basically, okay, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need help. And he just laid it all down. And all of a sudden, love hit him. He's like, I didn't know you could be loved like this. And it has rejuvenated his life in awesome ways. There's a, there's a guy who wrote a song, I think sums this up really well. We'll put the lyrics up here. His name is John Foreman. He says, we learn to wear these masks so young, like a prison that keeps joy from getting through. And an angry silence grips our tongues. These weapons and our walls become our tombs. 
Yes, we're the kids who've seen the darkness, always looking for the light. You fall in love and then the rains come down and only part of you survives. I'm tired of hiding who I really am underneath these alibis. I want to know who you really are. I want to meet you here tonight. Yes, we're not born with these defenses. We're not destined for this pain. We hide ourselves and put the fig leaves on, but a mask could never cover up this shame. And then hear Jesus saying, come to me. Oh, come surrender your hidden scars. Leave your weapons where they are. You've been hiding, but I know your wounded heart, and you don't know how beautiful you are. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He says, come and let me get rid of all of these defenses so that I can see you as you really are, so you can see yourself as I see you. And you will find rest in your soul. You will find something welling up inside you. That the only way you can describe it is maybe it's like living water. Because it's different than anything else I've ever drank. Number three, not realizing you need to recharge. Now again, I'm a little bit weird about Sabbath. I get that. But the Bible is too. It's a commandment. God rested before there were commands. Six days he worked, seven days he rested. And he's infinite. He doesn't need to recharge, and yet he rested on the seventh day. We are not infinite. We do need to recharge. And some of us are living our lives like we don't need to recharge. If I just put in more, if I just work harder, if I just read bullet. And it's, God has given us a really interesting system where we can kick into something called adrenaline. And it's awesome. You're like superhuman almost. Adrenaline me is rad and awesome and so annoying <laughs> if you're around it too much. But that adrenaline is not supposed to be lived off of. And that's where in America we, we got it wrong. We got to figure out how to recoup how to refresh, how to restore. And Jesus said, it's a command I'm giving you. All the other gods, their commands are very different. But this command I give you, I want you to rest and be with me so that I can refill you, recharge you. Rest is very important. It's a command. Number four, I put playing while injured. But basically, it's kind of like the dull blade syndrome. So sometimes we cut, the Lord's calling us to do something or we get involved in something that we're not ready for. We, don't, we haven't been prepared. We haven't, we haven't gone through what's needed to do it. And, and so we do it and we find ourselves not that effective. Like maybe we can get it done if we grit and push and strive hard enough. But then we, we just find ourselves so exhausted or so weird. It's because maybe our blade wasn't sharpened enough before we stopped, started trying to chop that tree down. And so the work becomes exhausting. And I've seen people in ministry definitely have this happen because we get a little too eager. We get ahead of the Lord. Or then there's the, the playing while injured where you go through something in life that really does hurt you. Loss of a loved one. Maybe it's your own sin. And you just think if I work harder, maybe I can cover up or make up for the deficit. And you got this dull blade and you just keep chopping and chopping and chopping and it's just wearing you out. It's because when you got hurt, Jesus said, come to me and let me heal you. Let me slow you down. It's okay. You can let that go for a season while you get healed up and then you can get back to it and you'll have that sharp sword and be able to do it well. 
I think some people probably can remember that time where they were supposed to take the break and maybe they didn't and now they're exhausted. Well, Jesus is saying, come, still there. I'm still there. <laughs> Let's go hang out. Um, and then the last thing I put was out of rhythm. You know, we got to be step in step and in stride with the Lord. And the picture for this is the cloud by day, going back again to Exodus, where God gave them this cloud. And when the cloud would go, the people were supposed to go with the cloud and they would get shade. But then every once in a while, the cloud would stop. And when the cloud stopped, they were supposed to stop. And there was one time where the people decided to go, even though the cloud wasn't going, they went and they were slaughtered. And there were people that lagged behind when the cloud was, was going and, and, and they got taken out by the Amalekites. And that cloud somehow was creating some sort of like grace moment where under the cloud, their clothes never wore out. Under that cloud, they were protected from the heat of the wilderness. There's some special thing going underneath that cloud, and that's the will of God. When we're in the will of God, there's nothing more refreshing, even if it doesn't make sense to anybody around. It's the most peaceful place to be. And sometimes the Lord is going, and you're supposed to go. Sometimes the Lord's at ease, and you're supposed to be at ease. And for all the Enneagrams nines, you're like, I hate it when the Lord's going. And all the Enneagram threes are like, I hate it when he's at ease. I don't know, you might not know. <laughs> like, what, what did he just say? Did he just cuss? No, I didn't. No cuss words. No cuss words were used in the making of this message. So those are five things. Um, just an interesting note, this guy, John Tyson, he picked up on this, that Jesus, when he was talking to his followers, basically warned them about two different things. Immorality, no doubt, and legalism. These were the two things that would rob the life of the believer. Immorality and legalism, and, and it seems like if you read Jesus, the legalism was, was one he focused on a little bit more, which is interesting. And for us who maybe know Jesus and been following Christ, I think that, that can be a trap that we can easily fall into. But those are two things that will rob us the life and the strength and the energy that Jesus wants to give us. So we're going to wrap things up now. Um, fear, grief, shame, and anger are very heavy loads. And some of you came into this place and you're carrying that. Some of you have been carrying it for a long, long time. Well, those are heavy loads that Jesus wants you to come and get free from. Some of you think that coming to Jesus will give you a heavier load, that he's going to give you more advice and more correction or give you more things to do. But what he wants to give you is freedom and forgiveness, and those things are very, very light. I've heard countless people come forward for prayer, and they just said, I felt like a burden was lifted off of me. And that's what Jesus loves to do. If you want more of this, we, Life Groups is a great place to kind of have an environment where this stuff can happen. We have Freedom Class, which is basically trying to address the false identities or false things that you're carrying. We have Explore Class, which kind of helps you get a little, a little bit more of who you are and what God's calling you to. Those are helpful things. But talk to somebody about this and get some help on these things. And lastly, the last question was, what kind of God gives out rest to those who come to him? It's a really, really good one. A really, really good one. I had this time where I was going through this prayer time with, with a friend. It's, they called it sozo prayer, which is just salvation. But it was like somewhere just kind of processing with the Lord. And they asked me to picture, picture myself. And I pictured myself. I was, this, I was a little boy, you know, whatever. 
I was just this little boy, and, and, and they said, what do you, how do you see the little boy? I said, he's exhausted. <laughs> he's, he's a little boy, and little boy's got full of energy, but this one's not. This one's exhausted. And they said, okay, well, now turn and look and, and, and picture God on the throne. And so I pictured God. They're like, how do you see him? I was like, he's like an old grandpa. And they said, what's the expression on his face? And I was like, he's kind of smirking a little bit. <laughs> He's like smiling, but also like a knowing smile. And he's like, what do you think he wants you to do? I said, I think he wants me to come and sit in his lap. And I said, what do you want to do? And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I think I want to go sit in his lap. And we kind of went through this thing, and I just realized that I had taken on so many things. When my dad took his life, it was now my job to care for my mom. When my mom died, it was my job to care for my own family and my brothers and other people. Once I got married, it was my job to care for my wife's family and all the need and challenges that were there. I had to be the man for so many people. And it was in this moment where I felt like the Lord was telling me, I never asked you to do all that. My load got a little lighter. And it doesn't mean there isn't work to do and I can't be some of those things and helpful. But I had taken on way more than the Lord had asked me to take on. And it was, it was, it was getting, making me exhausted. And so I just want us to enter into that space in communion. I want you to pull out your little cup. If you need one, these guys are going to be here. And I'm, you're going to take communion on your own today. Sorry if that's scary, but you'll be all right. And I just want you to, to, to enter into this space knowing the, the mercy heart of God, knowing what he feels toward, knowing how badly he wants to give you rest. More than you want rest or need rest, he wants to give you rest. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He wants to lead you to green pastures and still waters. And so I just want you to close your eyes. And all those who want Jesus, I want you to close your eyes and to enter into this space. I want you to picture a table set before you. And somehow as you come to this table, you're noticing very specific things that only God could know about you that are on this table. And Jesus is seated at, the, seated, at, seated at the other side of the table and he's looking at you with a knowing smile. And he's, he's wanting so badly for you to come and just sit at this table. And this is what communion is. It's Jesus preparing a table before us and saying, come and remember what I've done for you. Remember my heart for you. Remember that I was willing to give my body. I was willing to give my blood because I love you so much and I have so much goodness to give you. I love forgiving you. I love when you come all confused and I can help guide you. But most of all, I just love being with you. So take a few minutes right now in this space and receive what Jesus has done. Confess your sins, but also confess your forgiveness. And just see what exchange he might want to do. And then these guys will lead us into our last song when it's ready.